uh, open up your copy of Scripture to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a physical copy with you, I'd encourage you to pull out your phone and find Luke chapter 1 so you can follow along. Uh, I have a curiosity this Advent season that is really driving my following along in the Scripture with Jesus' uh, birth story. Um, I'm curious about how Mary so wholeheartedly, but also quickly, embraced God's plan for her life. Because last week, if you remember, we saw the collision of two things. The eternal plan of God. God had a plan before the foundation of the world to send His one and only Son in the world that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Ephesians chapter 1 says that God chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. So your salvation wasn't just a response to a response to a response to a response to a response. God had had that in the works before the Garden of Eden was created. And that's why Revelation chapter 13 says that Jesus is the Lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. And so we see in Gabriel's message to Mary, the eternal plan of God. But we also saw the very good plan of Mary. Uh, She wanted to marry Joseph. Uh, Probably she wanted to have children one day. She wanted her family to be uh, embedded in the community of Nazareth. And she wanted to be a righteous person that expected the coming of God's Messiah. And we see the collision of these two plans. And she almost immediately yields her plan to God's plan. That's why she says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled Then the angel left her. Your version of the Bible may have translated it. uh, May it be done to me according to your word. And so I'm curious about why she so quickly and wholeheartedly just yielded her very good plan. Years ago, Amanda and I were going to take a team of teenagers from our church to to Tegucigalpa, Honduras on a short-term mission trip there. We're going to be working with some local missionaries. And those missionaries happened to come into Houston and wanted to have dinner with us. And up up until that point in my life, I don't think that I'd ever really met a missionary. And so I was not looking forward to that dinner at all. I just imagined that we would order queso and then we would pray the whole time and the queso would get cold. (laughs) We would meditate on Leviticus 14 Uh, You know, these kinds of things. And I was so shocked and could not be more thrilled that these were the most fun, amazing, uh, easy to relate to people. And my change of perception, my correct and clear understanding of who they were and what was important to them totally changed our expectation for the trip. I, I think among a list of probably many, one of the things at the top of the list of why Mary so wholeheartedly and quickly embraced God's plan yielding her own is because she had a clear and correct understanding of God. When I think about my own life and the times when I have acted less like Mary and more like Jonah, this is what I want you to do. I don't want to do that. Often, if I can connect the dots, it's because I am not believing something correctly about God and what he wants. Thankfully for us, Mary said her clear and correct understanding of God out loud. And that's what we're going to think about today. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So Gabriel has come to Mary. He's given her this news. You are going to be the mother of God's eternal son. And she immediately goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, she and Elizabeth are not peers. Um, This isn't, uh, oh, we got married together. We're going to have our babies together. We're going to raise our babies together. Uh, Think of it as you and your great aunt. That is the relationship. Um, The miracle of Mary's uh, child is that she was a virgin. The miracle of Elizabeth's birth, which we learned about earlier in Luke chapter 1, is the baby in her womb has come to her even though she's beyond the ages of natural childbirth. Uh, She and her husband Zechariah were old, but God had sent an angel to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a son, even though science and biology would say you can't. You're going to have a son who's going to be a prophet for my own son that I'm going to send. That person ended up being John the Baptist. And so Mary has traveled 70 miles from the northern half of Israel, Galilee, down to uh, the southern half in the Judean hillside to be with Elizabeth, not because they are peers, not because oh, we're cousins and we're having babies, but I believe it is because Mary wanted to be in the company of someone who understood what it was like to be her, to be miraculously pregnant because of the eternal plan of God. And so she goes and sees Elizabeth. When she gets there, the baby inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy, which lets Elizabeth know Mary is carrying God's son, the Savior of the world. Now, what's interesting is that baby in Elizabeth's womb would grow up to be John the Baptist. When he's an adult, he's going to see Jesus from across the way, and he's going to tell two of his own disciples, see that over there? That is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Those disciples are going to leave John and become disciples of Jesus. Here, John is doing the same thing in utero. Mother, that is the Lamb of God that is taking away the sins of the world. I wonder, there's no way to know, I wonder if Mary knew for sure on her journey from Nazareth down to Judea if she was pregnant. She knew that she eventually would become pregnant. But were there biological signs? Were there natural signs? When the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, just as Gabriel said, was it obvious like in the days of the Old Testament when the cloud of glory would come in? I mean, I think that you would know then that you were pregnant if something like that happened. Or was it just God said it through the angel? I believe that it's going to happen. I think maybe that I am, but I'm not 100% sure. But then when she gets into Elizabeth's house, John the Baptist in utero leaps for joy. Elizabeth says out loud something she could not have known. You are blessed because you are the mother of my Lord, Elizabeth says. That that was the 100% nail it down. God's word is being fulfilled. And because of that, she leaps herself into song. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, to this morning. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now what's interesting, this song is really a mashup of a bunch of different songs from the Old Testament. You can tell from this that Mary had spent a lot of her time depositing God's word into her heart. 
And so in this moment of worship and praise, she just takes phrases from all of those different songs that she had memorized along the way and strings them together into a new song. And in this song, we see that clear and correct understanding of God. And if you were going to take notes today, these are the things that I would like you to write down. Number one, the Lord has seen me. The Lord has seen me. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. It feels good to be remembered by someone, doesn't it? And it feels awful when someone does not remember us. A couple of weeks ago, I was being introduced to somebody that I had already met. And so in the middle of the introduction, I'm like, we've actually already met. And then here are all of the interactions that we've had and nothing but a blank stare. (laughs) Could not have hurt my feelings more. It hurts when we're not remembered. This weekend, we were watching that new movie about Mr. Rogers that's, that's out. I feel like that's the only movie I can recommend here. It's a movie about Mr. Rogers. And so I was, became super interested in him and so went home from the movie theater, immediately watched every documentary I could find online about him, read tons of articles about him. And the whole time I'm watching the movie, watching the documentaries, reading these articles, my body was doing what I call the pre-crying phase. I don't know if you have that. It's like the signs that you are getting ready to cry. I don't like to cry. I'm not comfortable with my emotions, all of those things. And so I spend a lot of time in the pre-crying phase, which for me is every muscle in my face flexes at the same time. That's, that's how I know that I'm trying to push back those tears reverse them into my tear ducts. And so I'm like, this is happening. And, and I'm, I've been all weekend trying to figure out why, like, why, why was I getting so emotional about Mr. Rogers? I've seen a lot of Mr. Rogers episodes. None of them are emotional. All of them are super boring. I don't, I mean, bless him, but, and I think, I think what it is, 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 is I'm watching all these people have this response to him. The same thing. They're in the crying or pre-crying phase because he moves so slow. Um, not slow physically. He was actually a very active person. And, and I don't, he was not a simple person either. I, he seemed like he was very passionate. But when he was talking to you, it felt like, seems like to me, that you were the only person in the whole world. And then watching the episodes of the show yesterday, after learning some of these things, it's, it, when he looks into the camera, you feel like you were the only person. And they, they said that he had this trick, actually, when he would be talking to you, is when you would talk he would not really respond. He would just listen to you. But because you wouldn't like the awkward silence that came after you finished talking, you would just start talking more and then more and more. And just that interaction of someone is listening to me caused that. Somebody has seen me and they're they're not on their way to somewhere else. They've, They've just stopped with me. I think we're, we're hungry for that because we can get lost in, in everyone's commuting around us. I mean, not all of us commute into town, but all of us are commuting. So we're always on our way somewhere. I mean, when was the last time you were able to say to somebody, I don't have anywhere to be. I can just be here with you. Maybe never, maybe not since you were in college. Could you say say that my only responsibility is to to be here with you and and I'm enjoying it. We want to be seen. And how much more do we want to be seen by God? That God would think of us. That's what Mary says. He's been mindful of me. The simple, humble me 
God has seen me. And so she's glorifying God and her spirit is rejoicing. Number two, Mary is glorifying God and rejoicing because the Lord has invited her to be a partner in his plan. She says in verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Now, if you start thinking about Mary's situation, what was the great thing that God had done for her? Everything we know about her in the scripture from lots of historians say that she was just living a very kind of normal life in Nazareth. She had normal expectations, normal hopes, normal plans. What, is, what has God done for her that is so great that she's erupting in praise and rejoicing? It is that God picked her out of obscurity in her mind to be a partner in his plan. She counts that as a great thing. We have been invited into the plan of God. We are living in between the ascension of Jesus and the return of Jesus on the mission of Jesus. He has ascended to the right hand of God. His mission is still very active, but it's active through us. He's invited us into that plan and he's going to move us wherever he wants us so that we can be effective in the unfolding of that plan. So if God in his wisdom said, hey, I want you to go and be a missionary in, then he fills in the blank. Would you count that as a great thing that God has done for you? Mary does. God has pulled me out and it's going to rearrange my life. It's going to cost me a great deal, but what an amazing thing that God has done for me. I don't think if God asked us to be missionaries in Honduras or wherever, we would count it as a great thing that God has done for us. We would count it as a thing that God has done against us. But her thinking was totally different. And I understand how I fall into that trap. God, don't, if you sent me somewhere, if you asked me to do something difficult, that would be a thing that you've done against me. We fall into that trap when we are just trying to figure out how to do the bare minimum and still be a good Christian. And and Mary didn't live that way. So this big, costly invite that she has received, she says, oh, thank you, God. What a great thing that you have done for me. So she glorifies and rejoices. She also glorifies God and her spirit rejoices because the Lord is holy. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Remember, Mary is, has been raised in a culture where Greece had conquered the world and then after them the, them, the Romans. And so she was very familiar with the Greek gods and goddesses, the Roman gods and goddesses that mo- modeled after the Greeks. And so, you know, up on Mount Olympus in Greek mythology, the gods and goddesses are like us. They're just more powerful. So they fight with one another. They have carnal desires. Uh, they betray one another. Uh, but they're up there. And, and she's familiar with that. So when she says holy is his name, She's thinking of things like that. And then she's thinking about the God of Israel, the one true God, the God of all gods, the great king above all gods, the psalm says. And what she's saying is he's nothing like that. Which is what John is saying in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, when it says that in the Lord is light and in him is no darkness at all. So you look up onto Mount Olympus in Greek mythology and you just see more powerful versions of humanity. You look to the God of the Bible and he is not us. 
He is holy. He is set apart. He is other. Isaiah chapter 6 says that the prophet Isaiah got a vision of God's throne room. And in that vision, there are these angels. And they don't look anything like what we think of angels. And they got these wings, multiple wings. And with two of the wings, they are covering their face. That Even these supernatural angelic beings, they cannot bear to look straight at the throne of God because of his holiness. Not only have I been invited to be a partner in God's plan, Mary says, but the holy God, the one true God, the God of all gods has invited me into that plan. And then she says, but I also glorify and rejoice because he's merciful. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Guys, you remember when we were kids and we would play that game, Mercy? Just hold up your hand. It's like bucks colliding their antlers. This is what boys do. It's the game, if you're not familiar, you're too righteous. You know, uh, you'd lock hands and then you'd try to hurt one another. And the first person to get to a pain level in which they could not bear it anymore would say, Mercy. mercy. That's you saying, I need mercy. And that's what mercy is. Mercy is relief. Uh, relief. So if you're sick today and you're asking God for mercy, what are you asking for? God, give me relief from this. If, If you're struggling at work and there's a burden on you because of your work and you're saying, God, give me mercy. I want my boss to give me mercy. What you're saying is get this burden off my shoulders. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the mercy of God and our salvation. That in Christ, he is taking the burden of sin off of our shoulders and onto him. He's providing us with that supernatural relief of forgiveness from the sin that separates us from God. And, and she's glorifying God because he's merciful. Which, if God has invited you to be his partner in a plan and he is holy God, you're going to need mercy. She's also glorifying God. Because he chooses the humble over the powerful. You also remember from when we were kids, uh, seesaws on the playground? Those are illegal now. Um, Our our children will never grow up knowing the joy of being up and then down. Up and then down. And that's what Mary is painting here. That in her world, just like in our world, the powerful are up at the top. And their power is often driven by pride. But in God's economy and his way, the humble are going to be lifted, which is such good news. If you, for whatever reason, feel like the proud and powerful are up over you, and there are lots of reasons for that. There, there are racial reasons for that. There are gender reasons for that. There are wealth reasons for that. There are places where you're from. All of the things that may make you feel like there's powerful people who are up over the top of you. You just keep trusting God because one day he's going to change the equation. And that's why if for whatever reason our culture puts you up at the top, you got to make sure that you as often as you can are tying the apron around your waist and washing people's feet in the example of Jesus, lest you be lifted up in this life and be brought down in the life to come. And Mary is just saying glory to God because nothing about me would cause him to lift me up. But he he has done that. I mean, think about how unusual that is for God. This is his eternal plan. 
And his plan is a little bit crazy. I'm going to save the world by sending my son into the world. And so if that's your plan, wouldn't you want to give him every possible advantage? I mean, those of us who are parents, that's what we're trying to do for our kids. We're trying to give them every possible advantage because we love them. So we want them to live in this school district, uh, and then not just the school district, but this specific uh, high school, middle school, elementary. We, if we could, we would manipulate their, their teachers to get the advantage, right? I mean, we will try to get, do anything for them to get an edge so that, that when they get out there into the world, they will just be able to do what they want to do. We, we want that for them. So you would think that God the Father would do the same thing. I want to give my son every possible advantage that people are going to listen to him because it's crazy message. The whole world is being saved through me. So I'm going to send him to Jerusalem where, and I'm going to put him in a wealthy family so that they can get him to the best rabbinical schools so that he can go to the temple every day and hear the teaching of the temple teachers, the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. So that when he gets out there and he's getting disciples, his friend group will have been the best of the best of the best. So now not only am I maximizing his influence in the world, even the people underneath him will have a lot of influence because of where they come. Now you can see the message just really getting out there. But God doesn't do that. He goes to Nazareth, which is, uh, I mean, think of some town in Texas that you accidentally ended up in. That's Nazareth. You, you would never have driven through it unless you got lost there. And he picks her. He, he picks Joseph, who is a carpenter. No religious training. And then even Jesus' disciples. Zero credibility. But God doesn't care because he sees the seesaw. And, and he doesn't need the credibility of the proud and powerful. In fact, he's bringing them down. And he's choosing the humble. And she glorifies God and rejoices because of it. She also glorifies God and rejoices because the Lord has filled us with good things. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Now, I don't think that that phrase, he sent the rich away empty, I don't think that has anything to do with your bank account, what it is currently, um, the things that you have. Um, We're all richer or poorer, depending on who we're comparing ourselves to today. That's always in motion. But the rich that he's mentioning here are, are people who don't need God's miraculous, supernatural intervention and will be fine. Mary is not in that category. She needs God to pave the way for her. She is a virgin pregnant with God's only son. She needs God to intervene for her. So today, if you would say, you know, honestly, if I would never say this out loud, but I could stop believing in God right now right here today and probably be fine. Then I think that's who he's talking about. She's talking about here. Eventually you're going to go away empty. But people like Mary, the people that need God's intervention for whatever reason, we are filled. They are filled with good things. And I think this is a picture of the shepherd 
Remember in Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's the shepherd of the, the, the psalm of the shepherd. Psalm of the shepherd. Yep. At the end of that psalm, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when you're a shepherd, sometimes you lead the sheep from out front. Follow me, sheep. Sometimes you lead in the middle. And sometimes you lead from behind. And when the psalmist says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, the picture is a sheep, if they could, turn around and look at the shepherd. And if the shepherd is there, then surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. That shepherd is going to take me to green pastures. That shepherd is going to take me to quiet waters. And if you are in the family of God today, you are one of his sheep and he is a good shepherd. So no matter what is in front of you, no matter whether you are a pregnant virgin from a nowhere place with very few people probably believing your story, and it doesn't seem like there is anything good ahead of you, only difficulty. If you are in the family of God, one of his sheep, you can always look over your shoulder and be able to see goodness and mercy. It's going to follow you every day of your life because your shepherd is with you. His rod and his staff comfort you. And so she has this picture. I will be well taken care of. He is going to fill me with good things. So she glorifies him and rejoices. And then finally, she glorifies God because he keeps his word. This is her clear and correct understanding of God. He keeps his word. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She's saying God is fulfilling his word, his promise to his people Israel from the Old Testament, his specific word to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And he's fulfilling his promise through me, which is probably great news to her. Because God has asked her to do something very costly. Yield your plan for my plan. And she does. But she trusts God that if God has called her favored and blessed, that even if she gives up everything that is hers to claim, she will always be able to be called favored and blessed. And Jesus has asked you to give up a lot. So you're going to have to believe that he will keep his word. He says to you, Take up your cross, follow me. He says to you, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. He says the first will be last and the last will be first. In every possible way, the gospel and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is asking you and me to sacrifice. But what it also tells us is at the end we have nothing but gain. We're going to get a crown of righteousness. We're going to get a well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to be rewarded, 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 rewarded. But we have to believe that the Lord will keep his word or will never sacrifice in this life. And that's why it's so important that we have a clear and correct understanding of God. She says, I, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior that word glorify it means to enlarge it's like when you look through a magnifying glass you remember doing that as a kid whatever you're looking at suddenly becomes very very large and that's the picture 
God is large in her mind. And it's clear and it's correct. What's interesting is when you're looking through a magnifying glass, you can still see things out of the corner of your eye. And those things look very, very small compared to what you're looking through in the glass. They're still the same size that they were before you had that magnifying glass in your hand. But because of what you're looking at, they just appear small. And that's what's happening here with Mary. She's got some big things in front of her. She's got some big sacrifices. In fact, after Jesus is born, she's going to go into the temple and somebody's going to there prophesy to her and say that this, is, this all is going to pierce your heart. Those are all real. She's got a tough road ahead of her. Lots of sacrifice and cost. But compared to how God is being glorified in her mind and heart, those things seem small. And that's why she's able to have her spirit rejoice in God, her Savior. Because when God is glorified in us, at the deepest parts of us, rejoicing comes next. All right. Let's pray.